Well, it's good to see everybody here today. <laughs> it's my turn, and I'm happy to be here today. I, I'm, I got all new clothes. I got new pants, a new shirt. I even got new glasses, so uh, I feel like a new man. Actually, this shirt is a uh, travel shirt, and it's nice because it has the map of the world on it and uh, little compass points and uh, ships. And uh, this is an appropriate shirt for today to start off our journey through the book of Acts, because we are in for a journey. And, uh, but that's, the new clothes is not why I feel like a new man. I'm a new man today because of what the Lord has done in my life. It hasn't been an easy road, it hasn't been bum-free, but I'm still changed by Jesus Christ. And before I even get started, I just want you to know that I love this book. I studied this book, I revere this book, and I'm honored to be here to bring a message today because of what God has done in my life. It's not me, it's what God has done in me and what he's doing in you and what he's doing in our church and in the church worldwide. Just think today, people all over the world are gathered to worship Jesus Christ and to hear his word. And I'm honored to be in that number. Well, today, we're going to start with the opening verses in Acts. And uh, last week, Pastor Ken gave us a, a a bird's eye view of the whole book, and it's, a, it's an exciting book. God comes on the scene, and big things happen. And it's not bump-free. There's a lot of trouble and trials along the way, but God is there through them all. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. This is NIV. It's an updated version here. <clears throat> And it's just 11 verses, but there are a lot of, a lot of things going on in these, these opening verses. So let me read this for you here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. Boy, that was, that was right on cue. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back. In the same way, you have seen him go into heaven. So this book is uh, addressed to a man named Theophilus. And uh, is written by Luke, the beloved physician and the traveling companion of Paul. You know, he never saw Jesus but he, he saw and talked to all the eyewitnesses. And he was commissioned, most likely, by this man named Theophilus uh, as his patron to, uh, to put together an early account of what happened. Give us the early history. And uh, Luke does a, a marvelous job in putting together the history of uh, the Gospel of Luke. And this is the second part, the Acts of the Apostles and the early church. So it covers a time period about uh, 30 years or so after Jesus ascended into heaven. And I like the way he starts. He says, after his suffering, you know, in just one word, he summarizes his whole first book about Jesus. Jesus' suffering. He just mentions it in passing, but right up front. His suffering. You know, this story picks up just about a month after the suffering of Jesus. The disciples were there when they rode triumphantly into Jerusalem two months prior to where the story picks up here. They thought great things were going to happen. They saw the crowds uh, praising Jesus, throwing down their clothes and the palms. And they'd never seen anything like this before. And they were expecting great things. They had just come from Bethany not long before that, and they had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. I don't think their expectations could have been any higher. Jesus was clearly the Messiah, the great king that they were waiting for. And now he's riding into the city, and people were glad to see him. They thought that this might be the big day when Rome was put out and Christ would take over. That's what they thought. And then things started to happen differently. They met together for the Passover, and uh, Jesus, he, his mood was different. And he was very somber and even morbid. He started to talk about his death and uh, gave him this ritual to remember him by. You know, they didn't understand this, and they were not into this at all. And then after that, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus went to pray by himself. And he prayed, and he prayed again. He prayed late into the night while they all fell asleep. You know, what, what's wrong with Jesus? I mean, he seems really disturbed. And it wasn't uh, long after that they 
found out why. Everything happened in a rapid succession. Jesus came back, woke up his disciples, and, and said, it's time. And Judas comes up and kisses Jesus, identifying him for the chief priests. They watch Jesus be arrested by this hostile crowd, and they scatter, and some of them followed from a distance. And then they watched Jesus mocked and humiliated, tortured. He was passed from Herod to Pilate and back to Pilate again in mock trials. And then the worst thing happened. They would have never thought it. Jesus was handed over to be crucified. And they saw him crucified. the man who had done so much good. Everybody knew that he was a great prophet at the very least. And they watched him die. And then they buried him. And they sealed up the tomb. They were grief-stricken. Their whole world had been changed by the entrance of Jesus into their lives, but now this sudden departure, this sudden turn of events, they didn't know what to think. They were heartbroken, grief-stricken. They were beside themselves, and they were scared. Have you ever been grief-stricken, heartbroken, by a change of events that you would never have thought would happen? The disciples were. They were not immune to this. So this is the mindset of the disciples at the close of the gospel. But then it changes again, just as suddenly and as drastically, this time for good, because Jesus has risen. He is now alive. I went to one of my businesses the other day and found the paper. It was in the morning paper, Jesus is alive. Death could not hold him. There was no dispute that his body was gone. In fact, the, the Jewish authorities had to come up with a story to explain the missing body. There was no doubt that he was gone. And then he appeared to his disciples and gave them many convincing proofs. I, I like them. When uh, he shows up in the upper room, the doors are locked. The disciples are scared to death. There's already murmurings about the body being gone. They had heard the report from the women. And Jesus comes and stands among them. He says, it's me. And uh, they're totally baffled. I I would have loved to have seen the look on their faces. Probably their jaws hit the ground. And Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? I mean, it's it's so great. (laughs) You got anything to eat around here? I'm hungry. And as he sat and ate with them, realize that you know, this is not a fantasy. It's not a dream. It's not a hallucination. Jesus has risen. And he's back. He's back here with us. But it wasn't going to be the same as it was. And he didn't stay with them. He left. But he appeared to them several times over a period of 40 days. Well, what is their new life going to look like? 
It's not going to be like it was. Everything has been turned upside down. Their whole world is rocked. Jesus is alive, but now he's gone. He's here, and then he's gone. And what's going to become of us? Sometimes we have that same, same thought. You know, Jesus has showed up in our lives. It's not the same. It's not, we can't go backward, but we don't know where he's leading us next. It is a journey. Well, I have my notes here, and I'll try to work without notes. But I'm here, they're here in case I forget, but you won't know. <laughs> but um, Luke talks about um, the death and the resurrection of Jesus as being the means of reconciliation between God and mankind. It's a whole new chapter, not only for the disciples, but in world history, in cosmic history. It's a whole new thing, a new day. And the plan of God has made a monumental leap to the next phase. Atonement has been accomplished. And that is through the the death of Jesus. And his resurrection brings us new life. And God planned all this. This didn't just happen. Jesus was not a victim. God, from the very beginning, began to teach mankind about the sacrifice. Right all the way back to when Adam and Eve first sinned. And uh, the first sacrifice took place when God clothed Adam and Eve with skins. The skins came from an animal that God sacrificed on their behalf. And God went through elaborate means to teach people about the importance of the life of the innocent for the ransom of the guilty. And uh, he gave specific instructions about the building of the tabernacle and, and of the temple and how sacrifices were to be offered, when they were to be offered, what was to be offered. And not only just the sacrifice, but the, the life and the, the worship and the thinking that accompanies it. So we now have the final sacrifice, the sacrifice that works. The other ones were leading up to this great atonement. So it's happened. Now how do we apply this sacrifice to the good of mankind? Well, that's the next part in God's plan. And I'm going to jump around a little bit in here. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. How God applies his atonement to people is through the message, through the message of the cross. That was actually the name of a magazine of the school I went to. Back when there used to be lots of magazines, the message of the cross. And we, the church, take that message, that good news, to the world. Now that, you know, this is, this is good. Okay, we're, we were there. We saw this, and we're going to be his witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem. It, we, can, we can get that. I mean, this is where it all happens. Jerusalem is the center, the center of our world, the center of the Jewish world, the center of the, the whole world, because the temple is there. And we are going to be his witnesses. 
Have you ever been a witness? Maybe in a trial before? I was a witness in a trial um, a couple years ago. Actually, I had witnessed a, a, a violent crime. I saw two guys fighting, and uh, one of them cut the other guy. He whacked him with a machete. That was the craziest thing. We, I was with Matt and the Boy Scouts. We were going to the store to buy groceries for a camp out, and there was a tussle uh, not far from the grocery store, and uh, this guy whipped out a machete and whacked the other guy and hit him in the arm and cut him. That, that was bad enough. It could have been way worse. Um, but he was, he was, and he got away, but they found him, and they arrested him. And I was a witness, and so I was called to testify. Well, I showed up to court, but guess what? When the lawyer said, dude, there's a witness out there. He's going to testify against you. He's ready and willing to testify against you. Well, he cooperated with the judge, and he confessed, and uh, worked out his sentence with them. I didn't have to say anything, didn't have to proceed. It was all done in the back room. But that was because of the power of a witness, ready to tell what they saw. Now imagine if it can have that effect in a negative kind of context, what kind of impact our witness can be on the world when we speak about what Christ has done in our life. And we all know people who need to hear. People in our families, people we work with, our friends. We have a message that they need. That's how the atonement is applied to their life. They have to hear it so they can (coughs) believe it. Now, There's one more thing here in this unfolding plan. We got, we got the means of reconciliation. We got the sacrifice of Jesus. We've got the method. We've got the uh, preaching of the word, the witness of the disciples. And we need a mandate. Who's this going to be for? Is this just going to be for the Jews, for my chosen people? Well, Jesus tells them something that also that they probably weren't expecting. He says, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and all of Judea. They're like, okay, cool. This is, you know, the, this is the main city in our country, Judea. Yes, go Judah. Go Judea. We're down with that. Then he says something else. And Samaria. Samaria. Did I hear it right? Samaria. Samaria, that's that other place. That's where those people live. You know, the, those people that, they're not like us. And sometimes we don't like them. They're just, they're Samaritans. It doesn't mean much to us. And we lose the impact of uh, the story of when Jesus told the story about the good Samaritan. You know, that title means nothing to us. But it could have been like the good bum, the, the good person from a different culture. 
We have Samaria. Samaria is the, the place that's nearby, but not us. Where is your Samaria? You know, maybe Baltimore City. Or maybe somewhere else in your neighborhood. I've uh, been in places in Baltimore City where maybe some of you have never been. And I've been in places where even the police don't like to go. Because I'm a mailman. I have to go there. And I've been in places that uh, did not even look like this country. Look like I was in another world. I remember being in, in blocks where more houses were vacant than occupied. Never will forget one um, house. They had a grate for the screen, and children were playing inside, and they were locked in their own house to keep them safe. They were like prisoners in their own house. That's foreign to us. <clears throat> Samaria. Well, it doesn't end in Samaria. The message is to go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. Where are the ends of the earth? Well, from Jerusalem, that might be even in Middle River, USA. Did you know that we are the ends of the earth? From that small group way back then, the message has gone out throughout the whole world. And uh, so much so, I was just looking at uh, some statistics last night, that the predominant faith in the world is Christianity. It's about a third of the world embrace Christianity, officially. And that's 2.2 billion people. That's not bad from the motley crew, half fishermen and uneducated people, the predominant faith that has taken over the world. And it's not done yet. Remember, that was the uh, focus of the school I went to way back a long time ago. Um, Bethany College of Missions, it was called, and they just recently changed their name to Bethany Global University. It's a small school up in Minneapolis, and I had never even been there before, but I signed up to go. And uh, it was all about preparing people to become missionaries, and we had missionaries come and speak to us, teach our classes, and it was always an exciting story of what was happening around the world. And I'll never forget uh, my experience there. It uh, really transformed me. And uh, it was a, a four-year program. One of the years, they'd send you out on an internship. And they sent people all around the world. Uh, they had started uh, other schools and colleges and mission bases around the world, mostly in Brazil and the Caribbean islands. Only me, they, they sent me 10 miles down the road from the school. <laughs> I think they wanted to keep an eye on me. And then I, I ended up being there two years, but I, I worked at a, a Christian halfway house. So that ended up being my niche, my, my thing. Ended up being in rehabilitation work for many years after that. I remember getting postcards and uh, pictures from my friends. This was before the internet. They would mail them to me. Uh, yeah, we're down here in the crib, and they're holding up lobster and fish. I'm like, what, what is this? this? <laughs> and I'm still shivering in the frigid Minnesota weather. Um, 
but it was a great experience. Um, but what made it even greater was because after I came back, two years later, my sister ended up going to the school. And after she came back, my brother went there too. This is, this is part of my story. It's not because we're great or you know, we were groomed or trained for all this. Um, I had, a, had a, a rough beginning, a rough start, like many people today. And it's time I told you about it. Um, like many families, I went to church when I was a youngster. Uh, in fact, my grandfather helped with uh, the construction of a church on the west side many years ago. But uh, like many families in the 70s, divorce became the thing. And our, our family was wrecked by divorce. And um, my parents remarried. Um, but we weren't in the church anymore. And life was very messy. And at a young age, I started to go down the wrong track because there was a lot of turmoil in our household, a lot of fighting, a lot of commotion. And I fell in with the wrong crowd. And um, I started experimenting with drinking and drugs. Um, not too far or too long, but enough to get me into serious trouble. And I remember when I was 16, remembering and, th- and thinking that if things don't change, I'm going I'm to become an alcoholic. And it didn't bother me. And it bothered me that it didn't bother me. And I knew I was in trouble, deep trouble. And I had no answer. And I, I ended up spending a summer before my last year of high school uh, with my grandmother. And uh, while I was there, I found the Bible that she had. And I started reading in the Bible. I thought, you know, it's been a long time since I looked at this. And I started at the beginning of the New Testament. And nobody was there to guide me or anything. But it wasn't too long that I was captivated by the story of Christ. And I knew that this is what I was missing, God in my life. And I ended up going back home to finish my last year of school. And uh, I knew one girl who went to a Bible study, the Navigators. So I ended ended up going there and uh, diving into the world of the Bible and the fellowship of new young believers. And it transformed my life. I wish I could tell you that it's, it's all been roses since then, but it hasn't been. But that, uh, that's what started me on my journey. And uh, shortly after, that's when I went to Bethany. And God made inroads into my family's life. It wasn't me. It was God working in us. And I and my whole family are eternally grateful. My parents came to know the Lord, my brother and sister, and uh, the impact is not done. And uh, my sister ended up going to Africa, to uh, Guinea-Bissau. It's a little country that's uh, encapsulated by Senegal on the west coast of Africa. And her and her family were there, I think, for like 14 years. And uh, they had to flee one time when they had a civil war. When they got back, they found that their place had been destroyed. <clears throat> but... Uh, it's a journey. 
And now they went from that this super hot place. They finished their work there. Now they're living in South Dakota and working with uh, some tribal people up there. So it went from one very hot place to colder than Minneapolis. I was like, does it get any colder? I don't get it. But anyway, that's where they're at now. And they're coming uh, here. My sister and her children are coming this summer for a visit. And I wish I could tell you that all went well for me. I, I, uh, when I came back, I was working with my church, but uh, bad things happened and my family fell apart. And uh, I won't tell you all about that, but uh, it was a long, hard decade. And I suffered, and uh, we all did. But God redeemed my life. I didn't lose hope. And God helped me through a difficult time. He didn't abandon me. He walked with me through the journey the whole way through. And I'm grateful for what he's done in my life. And it's not because of me. It's because of him. So we got this plan of God. It's unfolding really good here. We got the means of reconciliation, Christ's death, and his resurrection. We've got the method. It's the message that changes lives. And we've got the mandate go out into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Jerusalem, Judea, even Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That sounds like a good plan. Now, we, we, need, we need something else here. We need some motivation. Some motivation. Well, <clears throat> the disciples, you know, Jesus told them... Um, about this unfolding plan, and they said, all right, Lord, just tell us this one thing. Come on. Are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, this is what the Jewish hope is, that the Messiah would come, that he would reign from Jerusalem over all the earth. This is what we're waiting for. So please... After all the, this, this has happened, please tell us that now this is the time. I mean, you really caught us off guard with your crucifixion and the resurrection. We did not see that coming at all. Okay, so now that we got that done and over with, now's the time, right? And we're your right-hand men. He says, now, don't worry about that. I'm not going to tell you about the times or the dates, because it's the Father. He has set them. They are set, but it's not now. For now, you are to be my witnesses. So they knew about the millennial kingdom. This is part of the, the unfolding plan of God. It's spoken about a lot in the Old Testament. I bet they went back and reread their Bibles. Um, if you remember, one of the convincing proofs that Jesus did was uh, shortly after his resurrection, he was walking down uh, the road and caught up with two of the other disciples, Cleopas and somebody else unnamed. And uh, he asked them, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you the only one here that doesn't know what's happened? Jesus, we, we thought he was the, the great prophet, the Messiah, and he was killed. And Jesus went with them, and they had the best 
Bible study probably ever because it says that Jesus uh, went over the scriptures with them as he walked along the way and opened their understanding to all the scriptures that pertain to him and explained to him the mission of the Messiah and how he would come and redeem mankind. It doesn't say it, but I, I, I'm guessing probably one of them was, uh, at least a couple of them were in Isaiah, talking about the suffering servant. So I wonder if the disciples went back and reread Isaiah. So that's, that was one of the favorite books that Jesus quoted from. And one of the great messianic uh, passages was in Isaiah 9, the one we read at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. But Jesus doesn't really chide them too badly about the question about restoring the kingdom. That, that's one that, that gives you that expectation. It says that he will reign on David's throne. So their motivation is the restoration of the kingdom and the worldwide kingdom of God. They also had one other thing that, that gave them a great vision. They saw Jesus ascend into heaven. It's actually the reverse of a lot of the other uh, appearances of Christ. Daniel saw the glorified Christ coming on the clouds of heaven. They, they call it the beatific vision, the beautiful vision. Isaiah saw the Lord in his temple and his and his, his garments filled the whole temple. Uh, later, John would have the revelation um, and where he saw the risen Christ. So there are a number of appearances where they see Christ coming. Well, they, they saw the opposite. They saw him going into glory. But it might have looked pretty similar. So that's a pretty wild vision. I mean, if I saw that, I don't know if I, what else I'd need to see. What, what tops that? Just, just a return, that's it. But there's one other thing. One other thing we need for motivation. I think I forgot something. Something I read in here. One other thing we need for good motivation. Anybody know what that is? Yes, Nola said it. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, the fuel. I didn't forget it. I just saved the best for last. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit it gets a little scary, you know. But this is a good thing. And this is the birth of the church. This is the Holy Spirit that transforms these desperate, scared disciples 
into apostles on fire. There's no other account, no other explanation. The Spirit working in the life of the church makes it a God-directed enterprise. This isn't our club. This isn't our dream. This is God's plan. It's his dream working in us and through us. One of the other means that God uses. God uses means. You could think, now, there's a lot of trouble. This whole suffering of Christ and working in the believers to, you know, it's a lot of labor and, you know, going to the ends of the earth. Couldn't God just forgive everybody? Maybe snap a couple fingers and just make this world snap it, snap to it, get it right? God uses means and he delights in the process. He's interested and intimately involved in our daily lives. It's not magic. God's not up there just pulling the strings. He's working in us. That's why the process is sometimes messy. We're going to find out as we go through Acts. It's not all great. It's, there are, there's trouble. There's conflicts in the church. There's shipwrecks. There's beatings. There's riots. There's all kinds of crazy things. There's good things that happen, too. There's miracles. There's bold testimony. And the church grows like crazy. It's because God works in man and through man. So now we got the pieces together for this plan. We got the means. The suffering of Christ and his resurrection. You got to have that. You have to have a focus for your message. What is the message without that? We don't invent new things to talk about. The message is the message of the cross and the Savior that came. But the message must be spoken. It must be communicated. It has to come out of our lips. And we have the mandate to the end of the world, to everyone we come in contact with, don't keep it to yourself. And we have sufficient motivation We have the vision of the returning Christ. He is coming back. You know, we can say we don't know when. It could be a thousand, it could always be, we don't know. But it could be soon. I know one thing, it's one day sooner than it was yesterday. And there are many reasons to think it could be soon. There are tips. Though we don't know the exact day, we know it's getting close. So how do we get engaged with this mission of God? I like these angels. They say, they just show up. The the disciples are watching Jesus ascend into the heavens and they're they might have their hands up. I, I know their eyes were open, and probably their mouths were open too. Standing there, dumbfounded, watching this. 
And then these two angels show up and they say, why are you guys standing around looking up into the sky? I think they like to have fun with us sometimes. <laughs> what do you mean, why? The, uh, these might have been the same angels or maybe the same group, maybe from the same battalion of angels that were at the empty tomb. There was two angels there also. They love asking these why questions. They, they said to the, to the women that, that came there, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why? Now, I, I'm outside a lot, and I look up at the clouds, and every once in a while I, I think and imagine the return of Christ. What would that be like? I think about it sometimes. you ever think about that? So it's okay to look up in the sky and to wonder and to think about it. But I wonder what the angels might ask us today, what their why question would be today. Because I don't see many people sitting around looking up into the sky. I wonder if they might ask, why do you spend so much time looking at screens? Big screens and little screens. I don't know, I hope I'm not stuck on too many toes. But I think they would find that puzzling and perplexing when we have a life-changing message that the world needs, people that we care about. Jesus said to the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem. God is often interested in where we are. He told Abraham, go. He's told many people, leave go or come. But now he tells the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem. I think he had good reason. Uh, while they were gathered in Galilee, um, Peter says, I'm going fishing. You know, Jesus died and now he's ready. I don't know what to do. I'm going fishing. I think Jesus had to corral them and make sure they stayed put. He says, do not leave. Jerusalem, don't scatter. Stay together. Be unified. Be unified as my church. There are oftentimes many reasons we may want to leave. We don't understand what's going on. The plan got shaken up, and we don't know where it's, where it's leading. This doesn't speak to us, but I think there's a message here for us, for this church. Don't leave. Don't scatter. Let's be unified as a body. We don't know where Christ is leading us, but we know he's with us. We need to stay together. We need to grow together. In one sense, we're like the early disciples. Their world was rocked. They were without their leader. They don't know what's going on next. We find ourselves in a similar place. I appeal to you, don't leave, don't scatter. Let's pull together.
And he said another thing. Wait. Wait for the gift that you heard me talking about. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Now here they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we believe and we know that the Spirit is in us and among us. We also know we always need to be filled with the Spirit. You know, I guess the baptism, that's a debatable thing, but uh, could, could be a one-time thing. But what is without debate is that we need to be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> now, waiting. Waiting for the Spirit. Waiting on the Lord. I think we have a different concept of waiting these days. Uh, on my route, I go into a lot of businesses and, I, and several professional businesses. I actually have three dentists on my route. And when I go in there to deliver, to deliver the mail, I see people waiting. But you know how they're waiting? They're watching the TV. Or they're looking at their phone. That's how they wait. Their mind is in neutral. They're occupying themselves. People don't even talk anymore. I'm amazed. People get together and used to be a thing that made civil society pleasant. People would have small talk. And it wasn't meaningless. Small talk is what builds community. And uh, builds goodwill. And unfortunately, I think our culture, in in a lot of ways, has lost the art of being a society. How much more should we as a church be a community? I think waiting, there's a better picture of waiting. Uh, I think it was about two years ago, Michelle and I went out to eat at a nice restaurant. I think it was Jimmy's. Or where is it? I don't know. Some nice restaurant. And, uh, known for their seafood. And we ordered good seafood. I don't remember what I ordered, though. But I do remember the water. I will never forget the water. (laughs) Because after I drank an inch or two, uh, our waiter came and filled up our cups. Okay, wow, that's pretty attentive. Well, we didn't get through our whole meal uh, without having our cup filled about 10 times. Every time, I don't know how, how, how much water I drank, because I drink an inch or two, and he'd come back over and fill it up. It was actually, actually getting a little creepy. <laughs> but this man was attentive to his customers. He was waiting on his patrons. Waiting is not an idle thing. Waiting is being attentive, watching, participating, looking, serving. And this is how we wait on the Lord and wait for the Spirit. We have to be seeking Him. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Are you waiting on the Lord? Do you seek after him? Do you seek to be refilled? Even if you only got an inch knocked out, you need to be topped off.
I need the Spirit in my life. I need God present in, in my awareness every day. And I, I get that by seeking him. I open his word. I talk to him. And I let him know that I am waiting. And I think that's when God is eager to, to show up. <clears throat> so that's my appeal to you today. Wait on the Lord. Let's stick together. Let's seek God together. Let's see where this journey will take us as a church, as individuals. Who knows what the witness of this church will accomplish? Who knows what the witness of your life will accomplish? It might be reconciliation. Reconciliation to God for people you know, people you love, people you care about. Let's pray.